I'm Roger Miller, and this is Collective Mass Radio. Hello and welcome to Collective Mass Radio number 13. We've got an exciting show for you today, as always. Uh, we're going to chat to the guys from Playnomics. Um, Chathan gives us a great rundown of the platform and why it is such a unique analytics package. Uh, he is also a great guy just to talk to about technology in general and the game space and um, really exciting dude. Um, but before we get into that, I'm going to chat to you a little bit about some of the Unity tidbits. First off, Everplay. Um, I integrated it for the first time, um, heard a lot about it, messed around with it, but uh, integrated into um, my uh, latest project, product, Notespace. And um, it was super simple. Really great product. There wasn't much. It was literally a couple of lines. Uh, so you just type record and it started recording. And then you could uh, use their social sharing uh, modal that was built in, which is fantastic. Shares to all the major stuff. And um, an interesting tidbit is that you can actually get to the video files uh, that are recorded. I needed to do this just because I needed to save the more than one play session. Everplay, by default, will save a single play session just to reduce the memory overhead, which is very smart stuff. Uh, but for my game, I needed to save multiple of these play sessions. So there's a little bit of a workaround for it to get to it, but you can. Um, the data is all stored, so I encourage you, if you're using iOS, uh, to take a look at your organizer, go to your device and your app, and then uh, take a look at the file structure and you'll see a temp folder for Everplay and you'll see the video right in there. So if you need to do some finicky stuff where you save the videos, uh, more than one video for the playback, for sharing, um, you can definitely do it. Email me at roger at collectivemass.com for more information or I, uh, I might be able to get around to putting up a uh, blog post about it. But it's good stuff. Everplay, please don't stop doing that. That's wonderful. It would be wonderful for Everplay if you did expose uh, more of your video encoding stuff because it is sorely lacking in uh, Unity. But uh, thank you so much for a great product. Uh, next up is Unity. 4.5.2 is out and the first patch is actually out it's got some interesting stuff like asynchronous loading of um, assets from the resource folder uh, which I really liked it allows you to do kind of a little bit more of a streaming sort of thing there are a couple of major fixes for me on iOS there's a, a couple of bits and pieces that looked interesting um, I'm still getting a memory leak with having large amounts of texture data in the resource folder but I'll be checking out the patch today it just came out uh, and I'll give you more feedback. Um, but otherwise, Unity 4.5.2 is great. Um, I think they've started to include the the different ways that you can take a look at your hierarchy uh, as far as it is organized. Uh, it's usually organized um, alphabetically, I believe, but now they allow you to do a couple of other bits and pieces. Um, and that's all in preparation for Unity 4.6 with Yugui, which is uh, my next topic. Um, Adam Tuliper at the latest Unity uh, user group in LA gave a great overview of um, Yugui. Yugui, for people who don't know, is the new uh, Unity GUI system that's going to be coming out in um, in 4.6, I believe. Um, I still don't have a firm release date on that for you, but they all promise me it's pretty soon. Well, <laughs> we've been waiting for this for three years, so a couple of months won't uh, won't hurt. Uh, great insight into it is that um, they had a whole bunch of different um, attempts at uh, working with the GUI system. The new GUI system was, um, I would say, co-authored by the guy from NGUI. Um, so they took it to a particular point, then they parted ways. Um, and so uh, GUI is a very scaled, I wouldn't say scaled down version, but a um, uh, um, kind of a very tight 
version of NGUI. It's got a lot of similar components, but it's got some really nice built-in stuff. Um, all of the uh, kind of anchor systems where you can align things left and right and percentages of left and right and have your button scale is really, really nice. Um, it's also all done in cards. They've got three different view modes. One is like a straight up canvas, which is a kind of a canvas overlay over everything. Um, the other one uh, allows you to put uh, put your UI actually into your game as a, a 3D component. And the last one is kind of a, a camera based thing. So it's still an overlay, but you can have an ortho or a perspective based camera if you want to have those kind of dead space feel menus. Um, so lots of exciting stuff with that. It looks pretty solid. Um, I'm interested to see when it comes out. Uh, it uses the sprite system um, for the textures that go into your um, uh, into your UI, and that looks that looks pretty great. Still like a little more insight into the packer. Um, as you know, I'm a firm uh, believer in 2D Toolkit with a great sprite slide, sprite sprite slicing packer. Um, and um, but but you know, time will tell. We'll see. Other interesting news is Microsoft has acquired uh, Syntax Tree, who are the authors of Unity VS. Um, it's a perfect match for them. I'm really excited to see how they push this. It's uh, a continued um, a reaffirmation of uh, Microsoft's support to the Unity product, which is great. It's good to see um, two big guys coming together to, to help the indies get stuff out. Um, so for people who don't know about Unity VS, it's a... A solution to help you uh, do real-time debugging, um, even cross-platform, uh, using uh, Visual Studio. Um, so Visual uh, Unity VS still works with the commercial version of Visual Studio. Uh, but if you're a game studio, you can sign up for the BizBark program and get yourself a, um, a full version of uh, Visual Studio, as well as a whole bunch of other products. Um, I am currently a member of the BizBark um project and uh, it's very very cool very simple to um, enroll so I'd highly recommend that um, and that's all I have for you uh, as far as unity bits um, unity games um, I know it's taken me a long time to get to it but Republic if I pronounce that correctly um, is a great game uh, really interesting monetization model as well uh, but the first thing that'll blow you away is their cinematics um, and they really have a great console feel on on your iPad I would suggest playing it on nothing nothing smaller than an iPad just because the uh, visuals are mind-blowing um, it's kind of a, a stealth game a really interesting story kind of an oblique um, alternate future and um, and I would just highly take, uh, highly recommend you take a look at it. Uh, the version I got was free. I don't know if it's still free, but they have like a um, a uh, episodic release. So the first episode I got was free. Uh, it's a great hook to get you in and take a look at stuff. Um, you can kick the developers some some money and take a look at the developer commentary in game, which is a really clever idea. Um, but the gameplay itself is fantastic. They have two modes, one which is kind of hard, more challenging, and one is a, a story mode where uh, it's a lot less challenging. But uh, the game itself is fantastic. Um, I kind of I totally forgot that I was playing a mobile game. Um, I know that seems a little bit pretentious, but I kind of have two categories for games. One is mobile, which is kind of quick, light, and um, pick-up, put-down kind of gameplay. And then your console, which is a sit-down experience. This, for me, was a very much a sit-down experience, except I could take, you know, I could lie in bed and play the game, which was fantastic. I was hooked. Uh, so I highly recommend that. Um, and I believe the latest episode, episode two, is out. So um, you definitely have another 
enough content for uh, your kind of futuristic, stealthy needs. So that's it. Uh, without much ado, now we'll um, hand over to uh, Chathan from Planomics and discuss the future of, uh, of analytics in, um, in Unity. Hello and welcome. This is Collective Mass Radio and I'm Roger Miller. Um, today I'm speaking with uh, Chathan from Planomics and really excited to have him on the show today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Planomics offering and the acquisition by Unity and why it's so cool. So uh, Chathan, welcome. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Excellent. So, um, so can you? I mean, Planomics has been running for a little while. Can you uh, give us a rundown of its history? Yeah, absolutely. So, I uh, I co-founded the company in two thousand and nine. Um, you know, at that time, there was a huge movement in gaming. You know, on a couple of vectors. One was away from kind of box product. You know, console games that you, you buy in the store. You know, the idea of a social game had become really interesting. The idea of free-to-play games had sort of taken hold, certainly in Asia, and then we started seeing it coming over in the U.S. with people like, you know, Zynga and King. And, and I just thought it was a really interesting time in the gaming industry, and, and I was playing quite a bit of these social games just because I wanted to see what they were like. And I actually, actually had a really awful experience as a customer. All right. Uh, you know, and it was sort of like I was playing them and I'd buy something in one of the games and then I'd get a pop-up saying, you know, buy something for the first time and get a discount. Right. And I would, I would say, wait, well, wait a second, you know, <laughs> I, I just bought something. I'm a customer already, you know, yeah, why, yeah. why am I not being treated better? I've given you some of my hard-earned dollars. So I, I, from the perspective of, of a, you know, a, a rabid game player, I was, I was just kind of intrigued by how companies would be able to create uh, the most uh, engaging and seamless customer experience. Right. And, and, and that, to me, seemed really challenging. And, and it seemed like if you had a 1,000 people, like Zynga did, looking at data all the time, trying to figure out where people were dropping off, trying to figure out what to promote inside the game to the right user at the right time, you know, they, they could do it with brute force. But, you know, for me, I've always loved uh, really creative, independent games, and I wanted to find a way to, to put all of that horsepower in a box, you know, and give it to developers. Right. And, and you know, in, in many ways, it was sort of like the other side of what Unity's been doing so well for so many years, you know, democratized game development. I was really taken with the, the concept of, you know, maybe not democratizing game publishing, mm -hmm. but automating certain parts of it so anybody could do it and could do right. it at scale, right? right. And, and if you think about some of these these social or mobile games, you know, you can get to scale with thousands of players very, very quickly. Yeah. And th then the question is, how do you actually make sure that you're engaging your players in the right way, retaining them, and ultimately, because, you know, game developers need to make money to survive, making money off the right players who love your game. And, and conversely, you know, you have a, an audience that, that you love as well. Right. And so, so those, that was sort of, you know, in 2009, a lot of what, what I was thinking about and, you know, just decided to try to go solve that problem. Excellent. Yeah, I, I mean, like, there was an amazing shift in gaming over the last 10 years that, like, so, you know, in, in 2004, the big money was all console. Everyone was looking at console. Console was super locked down. So the idea of, like, you know, harnessing the power of the Internet really was just, like, multiplayer game stuff and whatever the console would allow you. And then over, like, the last 10 years, all of a sudden... You know, you've got all this the slow shift to 
mobile and online and all that kind of stuff. And now you have the power of like, you know, you know, every user is practically online where you can get their data. And I mean, it's always been that dream of just like, hey, let's customize the game experience for everyone. And it feels like a lot of people, like there were a lot of people sleeping during this whole revolution. So it was a really good thing that you got on that bus on that time, man. That's very good. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was a little early for the time. You know, we, we were we were talking in 2009 about the idea of adaptive games and you know personalizing engagement for each and every player, and and the industry really was just at that moment in time starting to understand the basic power of what analytics can do. Right. Um, and and I'd even argue that even now, you know, the majority of the analytics providers out there are not really solving the core problem of you know, helping a game developer really understand their audience at every moment in time, really understand who in their audience is passionate, really understand how they can, you know, extend that passion in the audience of, for the game. You know, it, it gets translated a lot, I think, into charts and bits and bytes and numbers, yeah. Where, yeah. where really it comes down to this, this question of, like, how am I doing today with this game? What can I be doing with my game to make it more compelling for the audience? And, you know, what is my audience you know, sort of about and, yeah. and who in my audience matters and who, who, who is actually not, you know, sort of helping me in my game uh, perform. Right. Because, I mean, traditionally, just from doing analytics as a developer, you'd always, you know, the whole idea is the, the game designer would come to you and be like, hey, I want all of these events and they're all super complicated. I want as much data as possible. So we implement that and it takes a long time, figure it out. We put it out there. We get all the data back, and the game designer is like, "Okay, great." Hands this off to the analytics person. The analytics person is like, "I have no idea why this, why we have all of this data." And then ultimately, we get a, like a request for something we didn't put in, and we get to this like this huge complicated thing. Where, as you said, the core question is just, "How do I make money?" Like, I'm, I've got players out of there. How do I make them happy? Um, yeah. And uh, it's amazing that, <laughs> that something can just explode in all the wrong directions, you know? Like, we almost as a human race love numbers and charts and deducing things. Um, and um, it's good that you're putting all this power into to focusing on the question. Um, so, I mean, we've, I've used a lot of different um, analytics providers, um, and I, I focus on mobile specifically. Can you tell me how Playnomics... Uh, let's say compared to, to Flurry is completely different. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, you know, I actually, I think quite highly, and I, I know the Flurry guys fairly well, and I think quite highly of them. They, they were very much, you know, sort of the early movers in mobile analytics. And I remember when they, they merged with another mobile analytics company, you know, in, in I think it was 2009. And, and I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, okay, wow, that, that they are actually moving pretty quickly in mobile to kind of own this analytics space. Right. But, I, I, you know, I think that there's a couple fundamental differences. Number one, as a company, you know, our name is Planomics, right? We, we've been obsessed with the idea of how and why people play. Right. And, and you know, really, that's, that's just a cultural mindset. We really, from day one, we're trying to figure out, you know, who is social in this game? And, and how influential are they with other people in the game? And, right. and okay, there's a whale, but what's their in-game engagement pattern look like? So I'd say the first thing that, that, that set us apart a little bit was the, the fundamental focus on play and how people play within a game. Right. That led us then to a, a kind of a little bit of a different conception of the analytics. And, and our core sort of uh, way that we look at data and look at an audience is we look at them in terms of segments, 
And so, so that led us to build a really sophisticated audience segmentation engine right. where you know, we, we can group people based on their activity patterns. And it, you, know, you being a mobile developer know this very, very well, I'm sure. People move so quickly in games these days from being not engaged to very engaged to spending money to being at risk of leaving. And all of that life cycle can happen all, you know, within like three or four days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so then the question is, how do, you, how do you, you know, understand where someone is in that life cycle very right. quickly and, and kind of regroup them? So we, we came up with this concept of what we call dynamic segmentation, where we look at, you know, sort of certain events in, a, you know, kind of a user stream. We build a model of behavior for that user, and we continuously recalculate uh, the user's sort of profile. Right. And, and that means that as that pro profile is recalculated, we put the user in different buckets every time. And we do this for every single user that we see in our system. And you know, when we were an independent company, we were looking at, I think, 35 million monthly active users. Wow. Uh, an insane amount of data. <laughs> and we were essentially then just regrouping people continuously and saying, okay, well, here's someone who was highly engaged, and guess what? Now they're at risk of leaving. So, so, you know, I think, again, the, the, for us, it was always more about understanding engagement patterns. And then the second half of it is doing some actions. And so that's the, the second area where I'd say that we were quite different um, from Flurry. Flurry as a system, I think, is very good at giving you metrics and data and analytics. We thought about it a little bit more as like, okay, well, now I know engagement patterns. And I, I can see people who are shifting from being engaged to at risk. What can I do now to actually talk to those people? Right. And so the, the second half of our system was, you know, essentially very much focused on um, allowing a developer to take action either through push notifications or in-app messaging to use all this wonderful analytics and, and data that we would surfaced, you know, but to, to actually create unique personalized experiences for each and every player. And that, that could be as simple as, you know, showing people who are about to leave, uh, uh, you know, a, an in-app message saying, here is uh, a special good just for you because right. you're valuable to us. Right. We don't want you to leave. Or it could be, you know, hey, you know what, these guys are going to leave, but I have another new game in my portfolio. Uh, let me cross-promote my next game because... You know, I don't want to lose you as as an audience member for my whole all my games. I right. may lose you for this one game, but guess what? Here's my next one that you should talk to. So it can be it can be very simple in terms of just promotions, or you know, it got to the point where we could call to code with some of our messaging and promotions, and you could literally give different level experiences to different types of players, right? right. So people who are highly engaged uh, whales, you know, who are spending money in the game they may be able to get a different type of level experience than someone who is brand new in the game uh, and just onboarding for the first time. And again, trying to you know, get to that ultimate goal of highly personalized adaptive gaming experiences. Right. Well, that, that certainly is a lot different. I mean, like that's, it sounds like the dream to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, it, it was interesting because, there, you know, as I mentioned also, we were early and, and you kind of have to, to really sell to where you know, sort of the, the customer is. For, for us, our customers were developers. And a, a lot of what we, we had to do was, you know, sort of explain what analytics could do and what it couldn't do. And, and then really dive in the idea that it is more about engagement router, you know, kind of engagement routing uh, right. is sort of how I think about it. Like, 
you know, all this analytics, all the data, fundamentally what you're trying to do is you're trying to improve engagement. And then what can you do to do that? Well, here's what you can do. You can then talk to your players. That's, yeah, that sounds fantastic. You guys must have the biggest server farm ever. How, 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 how big is your server well, farm? So, so, so we, 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 we are on the cloud like most people are these days using right. Amazon, uh, AWS. Um, we actually, in terms of volume of data, we're not that large. We, 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 we were very smart about the type of events. And we, did, we spent a lot of time looking at what events in a game were sort of indicative of key behavior patterns? What events, you know, were predictive in saying, hey, someone's about to leave? And, and maybe I should mention that as sort of the third differentiator. We spent a lot of time trying to crack uh, prediction, which right. I, I feel is the holy grail. If you could predict with some certitude that this player who's just joined your game is going to become a loyal fan, that's huge for a game developer, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. You know, th then you can actually start to say, oh, you know, I know, I know where people will go in my audience, and I'm going to try to get them there faster. Right. And, and so, so we did spend a lot of time trying to do large-scale prediction, and at the time that we got acquired, we were really good at actually predicting things like churn, uh, you know, when someone is about to leave a game, right. and predicting it to a decimal of a day. Um, so, That's so, ridiculous. Yeah. Like, that, a decimal, like you can literally say between 2 and 3 o'clock today, you're going to lose this guy. Yeah, I mean, we, we presented it more as like 5.2 days from now, this person's going to leave. But the point, the point two was actually pretty, pretty, pretty accurate. You know, and then and the next step from that was predicting uh, spend and, and saying, okay, well, based on the pattern of activity that this player is exhibiting, I'm going to compare that pattern to all the patterns I've seen in my game. And, oh, wait a second, this pattern looks like someone who is going to spend. Oh, right. interesting. So, so, and how much are they going to spend? Well, I predict it's going to be, you know, uh, X amount of dollars and cents. And so that, that for us was uh, less accurate, but still quite accurate. So with predicting churn, you know, we were, I think, almost 90% right almost all the time. Yeah. And, and predicting lifetime value was more like, 70, 75, 80% accuracy. But even that, you know, is, is in prediction circles, quite good. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, really for a game developer, the way I think about it is you just need to have some sense of who's going to be valuable, right? right? It doesn't need to be 100% accurate as long as you know where to spend your time and energy. Is it building new features that your whales absolutely need because your game is dependent on you know, a very small percentage of players who are spending a lot of money. Right. Is it making onboarding easier because your game is dependent on lots of people coming through the top of the funnel and sticking around for a week or two? Right. You know, that, that, to me, is sort of what you need to solve for the game developers. And you know, we, we did it by trying to do large-scale data prediction. And you know, sort of to answer your question about how big you know, sort of the data is, it, it, it was... And I'm, I'm blanking on the exact uh, amount of data requests we were sending on a you know per second basis, but we'd been told by several folks at, at, at Amazon that it was you know some of the highest velocity that they see. <laughs> wow! In, in North America, certainly. Um, but but again, all all of this data was was basically for a fundamental purpose of how can I you know help a developer understand their user better? And and really, the other thing, the last piece of why we were different from like a flurry is we, we focused on a specific user continuously. So mm -hmm. all of the analytics and all of the data and everything we did 
was at the per user level. And right. that, that just allowed us to have amazing amount of fidelity in terms of doing things like, you know, predicting engagement or churn or, or spend. Absolutely. Are you guys uh, going to hit the stock market soon? Because if you've got a predictive <laughs> engine like this, 70% is a pretty good return. Well, you know, fu funny <laughs> enough, uh, the, the, the core idea and technology, um, this, is my, this is my second venture that I've done that had the elements of prediction. The first one, I, I joined a bunch of ex-Wall uh, Street traders uh, and, and, and we, we, we were doing prediction for things like information security. So trying to figure out hacker spoofing, whether employees were going rogue. This is, this is back in, you know, 10 years ago in 2004. And this was wow. way too early because uh, it's only now that you're seeing companies in the security space doing stuff right. like this. But, but, you know, it, it, all this stuff had come from academia. It had come from biotech, bioinformatics. It had come from Wall Street. You know, and, and the algorithms and the, you know, sort of the way you do this sort of prediction, they're all, they're all the same algorithms. They're just tuned differently right. for the, the different contexts. So, well you know, I had this experience, you know, with the, the security company where, you know, we were, we were looking at user behavior in order to see if someone had hacked into the system and was spoofing an identity. And, and that actually, that business was not super successful because it was really hard to get a normal pattern of activity. Like, for example, say you're at work and, you know, you're doing your job as normal and now all of a sudden you have to go on a business trip to Croatia for whatever reason, right? right. That, that's just your normal course of business. You got to go out and now you're using, you know, a different IP address, maybe different systems. Right. And from the perspective that we were looking at in the security company, you know, you would be a hacker in right. Croatia, you know, right? But what, yep. what I found really interesting about games, and this is part of the reason I, I started the company, what I found really interesting was that, you, you know, the, you can really actually have a normal pattern of activity because right. that's game design, yeah. right? The game developer has thought about the normal pattern of activity they're trying ah, to elicit. So right. And now if you have a normal pattern of activity, you can say, okay, well, this is what normally people are going to do in my game. And, oh, wait a second, the variations, that's actually my highly engaged user. Nice, okay. Or my high spender, right? And, and so that was, our, that was one of the, 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 the core insights that drove me to, to start the company. The, the other core insight uh, was as a, as a player, again, as I mentioned, bad customer experience, all that kind of stuff. But uh, in between uh, you know, starting some of these companies, I, I did take some time off, and I was literally for six months – playing Halo every day wow. uh, and, and playing it with a, a really good friend of mine. I was in San Francisco. He was in L.A. Right. And, and we'd play every day and we'd just, you know, spend three hours just trying to kill each other as much as possible. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, I'm fairly, uh, a fairly competitive guy. And at right. one point, he started beating me every time. And, and this lasted for like a week. And it was amazingly frustrating for me. <laughs> and then I, I, I stopped and I thought about it and I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm fairly adaptable myself. Right. That's sort of one of my strengths. What can I do to change my play pattern to, you know, try to beat him? And, and so I said, well, what's he doing? Well, I know he's a, he's a fairly conservative guy. You know, we used to play tennis together a lot. And, you know, when matches would start, he'd kind of freeze up. So he doesn't like really, like, intense in the, you know, field of fire type stuff. Right. He's probably just sitting somewhere on the map sniping me. And, right. and then I said, okay, well, if he is doing that, then I'm just going to act like I don't know he's sniping me, first of all. 
but I'm just going to draw out his fire, and then I'm just going to go and rush him, and, and he'll freak out, and I'm going to win. So I changed my play pattern. Uh, you know, again, it's, a lot of this is personality-based. I said my friend is probably conservative. He's probably playing in a conservative manner. I'm somewhat adaptable. I'm going to be adaptable. I changed my play pattern, and uh, to this day, five years later, he has never beaten me. <laughs> not, not once. And he has no idea why. Uh, except you know, for now. Except for now. And, and truth be told, basically every every venture capitalist in Silicon Valley has heard this story. You know, because it really was quite amazing to me that human personality could come out so dramatically in the game. Right. Right. Like you could really see, you know, someone's emotional makeup by how they played Halo of all things. Right. And, and so as, as sort of part of the reason why I wanted to start Planomics is I really felt the confluence of, you know, all this data coming in from, you know, all these games that are mobile and social, all this interesting challenges that developers had with having to understand their users at every moment in time. And at the same time, you know, this really interesting thing about human psychology. Right. Like, who are, and, and in fact, for a couple of years, we had a, a slogan, which was, uh, you are how you play. Right. And, and, you know, it just kind of like really using data and, and algorithms to deconstruct why someone would be playing. Right. I, I, found that, I found that to be just a very interesting, interesting thing. And that was a lot of the reasons why we, we wanted to, to go build this company. That's amazing. I mean, like, really good stories. You're talking about difference in your personality versus your friend's personality, um, and you were talking about this the, the segmentation engine that you've got. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the the different groups that you put people in, what those are? Yeah, absolutely. So, so again, this is one of those interesting things that I think, and this is just, you know, uh, more, I think, uh, for anybody going into any kind of business, you, you really have to map to where your customers are. Right. When, when we started this business, if I were to look at the mock-ups we built back you know, in 2009, we had a lot of stuff that was a lot about personality. You know, how social, is this person a social butterfly? Right. Is this person you know, a connector, et cetera, et cetera. As time went on, we realized that, you know, and, and this I think is just a, a, the nature of mobile game development, social game development. Developers had, had very few categories they really cared about. The categories they really cared about were monetizers, right. non-monetizers, people who are highly engaged, people who are highly loyal, uh, and then they, they really cared about where someone was. So we built a segmentation engine that could handle all of that. And in fact, we have a, a custom segment builder where on the fly developers could create uh, segments like uh, highly engaged Turkish users who have logged in uh, more than five times in the last week. Right. Okay. And that, that could be a group of people that you're managing and giving a different experience to. So w the, the segments themselves became very tactical right. and very, very much focused around, you know, core concepts of engagement. How much time is someone spending with my game? Right. Loyalty. What is the pattern of return? Is this somebody who's coming back every day for a little bit of time, every week, but for a lot of time? And, and then the last, the last concept was essentially monetization. How much right. is some, the velocity of spend? Are they whales, dolphins, minnows? You know, are, they, are they the type of people who, once they start spending, will always spend a lot uh, you know, continuously? Right, right. Are they you know, kind of like very you know, dripping money here and there at certain points? And, and, and that, that became really the focus of, of the segmentation. Uh, right. The personality and behavior stuff 
we actually have built uh, we built a really interesting kind of you know Bartle 2.0. Uh, if you're familiar with Richard Bartle, yeah. he came up with you know sort of the the archetypes of why people play it. And so we, we actually did look at a lot of our data. We, we did some work with a brand agency who had a lot of consumer behavior data as well. And we came up with our own scale of, of human behavior as to why people play. And it was things like you prefer to have a solo experience or a group experience. If you prefer to have a solo experience, you may be more of a scientist type. If that mm-hmm. group, you know, if you're a scientist type, but you like the group experience, then you actually are more of an explorer type, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. And, and the way we thought about it, actually, though, was that, you know, everybody has multiple, multiple facets to their personality. Right. right? You know, no one is just one thing. And, and, and really, everybody has all these facets all the time. It's just some games bring out more types of your personality than others. Right. Some games, you know, kind of, you know, underweight certain parts of your personality. So we thought about it at the individual user level, essentially scoring behavior. We would give everybody, every user, a score across loyalty, engagement, monetization. We'd give them a score across some of these more interesting personality concepts, how aggressive you were, et cetera, et cetera. And, and these scores, you could think of them almost like credit scores. Um, but it was credit scores for how you play. Right, right, right. Gotcha. And I mean, did you find a lot of change? Uh, like, because I know that one day I will wake up and I'm, I'm a particular personality type. The next day I'll wake up I'm kind of another personality type. One day I just want to stay in bed and play games. Another day I want to get out and go hiking. Um, it, do you find that personality types can change just with the day that they're pretty random? You know, that's a, it's a good question. And I think it's still an open question. Um, you know, this is this is one of the reasons we were uh, very excited to join forces with Unity. Is that you know even with the scale of data we saw, which was quite a bit, we didn't have enough to really conclusively get to the point where we could answer that kind of question. Right. Uh, and and I think we will be getting to that point in the next year or two. Just being able to see so many different varieties of games, you know, that are built on Unity across so many geographies. Really trying to understand that stuff would be, would be phenomenal. And, you know, my, my intuition is, yeah, personality is, is quite changeable. But what, what is really fascinating, I think, from a game development point of view is that game mechanics can bring out different parts of that personality. Right. Yes, so, yes. so I would even look at it almost as, like, from a game developer point of view, of, like, what is the personality characteristics I'm trying to elicit here? And, you know, how can I find the right people in an audience that really care about these, these kind of mechanics that really just light up your, your mind. And, and I'm not sure, you know, I think about some of the games I've gotten extraordinarily addicted to, and, and Flappy Bird is, is an amazing example. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure what it is about that game that made it so addictive for me, but I will say that, you know, I, I know a lot of people who are quite dismissive of it. I think it, it was brilliant. I mean, I, I think it was a, a, a brilliant game, not the least because for my, my personality, I found it thoroughly addictive. Right. Well, I mean, like I found the same thing with a lot of games, uh, specifically coming from the casual side first, because that's, you know, kind of where I started, actually started out in gambling and then moved to casual. Oh, well, um, yeah. Well, there you see, I mean, gambling is a whole other interesting category of behavior, right? It is amazing. I mean, like the amount of like, like personality and psychology of like the, even the smallest things of like how the ball bounces on the roulette wheel, you know, elicit certain feelings. Uh, of course, those companies have all the money in the world to investigate that stuff, and that's quite nice. 
But it is looking at like um, th- like developers, I would say game developers from a AAA side of things. They would they would kind of turn their nose down a bit at the at the farm walls and all that kind of stuff. But it's really hard to because they're getting the numbers right. So like there's value in those. There's value in Flappy Birds because people are playing them, and it's um, it's a it's really exciting when somebody just gets something right. You know what I mean? Yeah. They like just the right delay between like. You know, screwing up and starting the next game like Super Meat Boy. You know, you got small levels with ultra hard stuff that people traditionally would be like, no one's going to play this game. Just hit this perfect vein inside of human beings, like their competitive streak or whatever it was. It's just fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And and you know, it, it's interesting that you know the, the AAA guys are very dismissive of of you know some of you know the farmers of the world. And 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 I, I would say actually. You know, I'm I'm actually as a game player, not not I, I don't feel like the free to play stuff has been done right. I think in, in many ways it's been somewhat exploitative and, and you know probably too exploitative, and that's why you know free to play has such a bad you know sort of uh, interpretation within the industry. Right. That being said, you know the the core behaviors of what you're seeing on a massive scale, people playing games like they've never played before. I, I think. The, can't ignore it, and, and the the stuff you can learn from human behavior by how people play, why they play, that's something that that the industry, by nature of being a very co- a competitive and, and tough industry to succeed in, people haven't spent enough time thinking about that, and they, they will be spending time thinking about that in the next five years, and people who really, on the behavioral level, get it right, uh, those are the ones that are going to create the most amazing game experience. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Like, it, it's really exciting stuff. I was just thinking before about, like, you know, trying to get analytics from an Xbox game, right? You don't get the live data, so you've always got to interpret it, like, you know, back a couple. So, but now, like, you know, within an hour, I can see what people are doing. So I can see maybe there was a news report about something else, and then all of a sudden something happens. Um, and that, like, being able to get more access to large amounts of data, like immediate data, where you can start to put two and two together, start to really help to solidify those those play patterns that are super addictive. Um, you know what I mean? Like just, you know, 4th of July is coming up. So, you know, what do people do on 4th of July? Like what games do they like? Why do they like them? What is, you know, it, it's it's just really exciting from a, um, I think from a game designer's point of view, because we actually now get get data that's really valuable a lot of the data that we get from you know from a game design point of view used to be all based on hearsay right got a game it was successful and then the creators of that game will tell you why it's successful um but that's it's kind of like objective where now we can say you know we we can more accurately draw that line of saying like yes we did this thing and yes it did pay off um so that's awesome um so Unity, you guys recently got acquired, and that's. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, the, the other place it could go, just to, to extend. So you cut out there, mate. Are you there? Oh, so, sorry. Yeah, I, I think we get a little network delay. Sorry about that. No worries. Um, the one, the one thing I was going to say, and this is just a, another, you know, interesting longer term thing, just on the note of you know real time feedback. Right. You know, it, it, I, I was reading uh, a couple years ago about uh, something called uh, Infinite Super Mario Brothers, mm-hmm. and it was uh, a, 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 I think a group out of maybe Stockholm or Copenhagen. They'd taken the the initial Super Mario Brothers game, and and you know the first level of Super Mario Brothers, 
and they had made it adaptive and they made it personalized. So based on the number of coins you got and how fast you got into the level, the next level was auto-generated for you based on your preference. And wow. I, I, I thought that was, that was really a, an amazing, amazing kind of thing for me because I, I thought, wow, that's, that's going to be the future of game design where you as a game designer will think about you know, different types of experiences that you're going to give players based on you know, what they're showing in a game, what, what, right. what, what preferences they're going to show, and then they'll, they'll deliver it. And if you take it even a step further, the thing I love about game designers and game developers is you know, they'll maybe say, hey, you know what? This person is you know, showing this sort of preference for short-term rewards, but really they could see the value of long-term rewards if they get this different experience. And so as a game designer and a developer, you could start to program things psychologically and say, well, you know what? You may want more coins, but in reality what you need and what I'm going to give you as a designer and, and the experience I'm going to give you is going to be something with less coins. Right. And it's going to take you longer to get through it, but guess what? You'll actually have more fun doing it. Getting because you're going to get something you, you may, not, may not think you want, but I'm going to do it and see if you like it. Right. Well, I mean, like, I, um, I've got a couple of friends who do, like, exploratory horror games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just as, a, as I, I played a lot of the Silent Hill games, and I, it was this weird mixed love-hate relationship. I hated the game because I knew that it was going to scare the crap out of me. But I kind of loved it in a way because it was like really mysterious. It was this strange mashup, um, and just from a horror game perspective, like seeing how somebody reacts. Like, is it too much? Is it too little? Can we tone it down a bit? You know, what what is the the user getting out of this? Um, and you know, horror games are like super psychological. That's the whole basis that they they work off of. Um, I think we could see some pretty trippy stuff coming out of that. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, I mean, it, 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 this is why I love it industry is because the idea of what a game is is it's still it's still quite amorphous right what what is a game yeah what 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 are we doing here with these games i mean are they entertainment well yes they are but they're also completely interactive right right? and and you know it's like experiential and you're actually delivering experiences and you know if you think about just how people you know learn in the world you know i would argue you learn much more experientially than you do, you know, sort of by one-way information, right? Reading I, a textbook yeah. versus, you know, playing the Oregon Trail. I don't know if you remember that game. I remember that game. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, I, I remember. I know more about the Pioneer Experience because I played Oregon Trail. Absolutely. Than, than reading from it because, you know, first of all, I didn't get through. I didn't beat the game. You know, I always would die crossing a river, running out of food. You know, getting attacked. Pioneer life right. was hard. Right. And I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I I couldn't agree with you more. I've done some educational stuff uh, recently, just like talking to students. Um, And it's so bizarre that the the very core concept of learning is associated with not fun, where the core of what we were brought up from an evolutionary point of view, uh, fun is the reward for learning. Like that we experientially play games to be able to teach ourselves things. Um, and that's what it is. And it's so strange that we've moved completely away from the idea of what we play games for fun, not learning, where that was the core mechanic that we used to teach ourselves kind of how to live this life. Um, and so it's it, it's really exciting seeing the the um, the educational market starting to like realize this, like this 
games people play games because it's built into your personality and it's built into your personality because the human race needed to survive so we teach you how to do things via games um and hopefully they just more and more games will come up through the educational sector and games that aren't just you know learning disguised as games but like proper games like oregon trail like you you, the thing you got out of that was pioneer life was hard. So many things could go wrong. And that is a core lesson to learn, right? Yep. So, yeah, I'm super excited about that stuff. Yeah, it's 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 interesting time. And, you know, maybe this is a nice transition to sort of unity and, and why unity and all that. But the, the, the unfortunate part about it is it, it is hard out there for independent games, you know, that are not of the norm that people are used to. It's hard right. to discover them. It's hard to sort of get into them. And, and I think, you know, that, that's why I love Unity and have loved Unity from day one in my time at the game industry is that the commitment to, you know, sort of developers mm-hmm. and, and making sure that developers have the tools they need to win, you know, it's, it's, it's unwavering. So from the, you know, from the outside, I was always just a huge fan of, you know, Unity and, and David, the CEO. Um, and I, I think it's it, the core problems that the game industry has which is it's hard, you know, to be an independent developer, to get to scale, right. yeah. to, to be able to have a successful game. You don't have to have millions and millions of people in an audience, really, actually. You just need to have a passionate audience. Those, right. those core problems, you know, I, I think Unity is well positioned to really reform, you know, some of the, the issues plaguing the industry. And what you'll see, hopefully, is a really, really vibrant, you know, sort of long tail gaming world right um, you know and, and i think that will spur if you if you have if you have an ecosystem where people with creative concepts for games can be successful you'll start to see much more unique interesting games yeah tar- targeting almost every type of psychological behavior you can imagine <laughs> right you know and, and the converse of it is you know if you look at what happened in, in consoles or has happened in gaming continuously because you know it's hard to get distribution you know, you have these very, 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 you know, sort of big franchise type games. I mean, it's not lo- lowest common denominator, but it is trying to hit the largest market possible, right? right? Where, in fact, what would be better for the industry is a, a situation where you don't have to hit the largest market possible. You just have to find the right people, enough people to, to get you a profitable game. Right. If you have a profitable game, you're successful. Right. No, I completely agree. Um, Because, I mean, you you just take a look at some of the games out there. I think it was GDC two years ago. Um, uh, There's a company called Kixai that makes very core, very focused kind of like uh, combat RTS type games. Um, And his whole drive was the thing is, is that these games aren't dead. You don't have to dumb down your gameplay or your style. You just have to find the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it does really well for them. I think it was also the success of Steam a lot was the idea that you know you could find that thing that you really wanted to be you know playing the the thing that you really wanted to be passionate about. Um, and yeah, I mean like it's awesome to see how many Unity games are actually getting there. And it seems like the first level was how do I get these guys to make a game right? They've got creative right. concepts. Here are the tools. Go for it. Now the tool base is almost mature it's like it's really good it's solid it developed i mean it deploys to all these different platforms and it seems that unity is now saying okay now you guys got the tools how do we get this stuff out there how do we make it meaningful and it's great to see all the different services that they're starting to provide like the 
the whole Unity cloud service with like uh, the advertising stuff. Um, just just their, them as a publishing partner is awesome. Um, and now, obviously, when they've they've acquired you, it seems like you know they, they definitely are taking care of the problem. Like first things first, and then you know. Yeah. Uh, well, like, you know, I, I think the, the the great thing about Unity, and, and even within the company, first things first matters a ton, right? It is invest in in the, the engine, make sure that that it is the best game engine in the world, the easiest to build something with. Right. You know, and then, and then the next step is just the the reality, as you and you know this as well from being a mobile game developer. Life these days begins at launch. Right. If you're yep. doing a mobile game, you know you, you you're going to spend a lot of time building your game, but you know once you launch, you are now you actually that's when you're you know it, it's all happening. You're right. Yeah, yeah. That's when you're starting to iterate feature testing and feature design. You know that's when you have the audience and you're seeing how they react. That that is, you know, equally as important as building up front, right. uh, in my view, right? And, and so I think Unity certainly has always believed in, you know, sort of democratizing development. As I said, you know, now I think you can start to see a broader a broader vision of play, which is how do you make sure that game developers are successful? Period. Right. Yeah. And it, I, it, I wouldn't just say it's our acquisition. Um, it's also, you know, a great company that Unity acquired uh, called Amplifier, right. uh, which operates, uh, you know, a, a cool product called EveryPlay, yeah. uh, you know, which is basically like what Twitch did for, uh, you know, uh, sharing sessions and, you know, kind of a social environment around, right. you know, hardcore, you know, PC-based games. Uh, EveryPlay does for mobile games. Right. It's, it's, it's wonderful for developers because it gives developers an engagement mechanism. Right. Right. And, and, you know, again, if you, you know, engagement is the currency these days. <laughs> yep. Game. I wanted to ask you just uh, transitioning, you're talking about engagement is the currency. Um, do you have a segment in your system for highly social users? Yes. Uh, yes. And, and, that's an interesting one uh, because and I'll just, if you allow me, I'll give you a quick, quick ten-second story on on how we came upon social users. Please. The first data we got was from uh, uh, an MMO that THQ, rest in peace, THQ, uh, <laughs> was, was had had put out, and we we mined that data and we saw really distinct user patterns. We saw people who were highly social and weren't playing the game at all. And we, we were wondering, what, how could that be, you know, that you had such fidelity of this social network and you're not playing the game at all? What are you doing in here at all? Right. And it, it turned out that it was uh, back when Facebook was letting people spam their users pretty dramatically. So, you know, if you were playing a game, your friends would automatically be invited to that game. And right, right. Like that. And, and so it turned out that the, the massive chunk of social users were actually just not even interested in the game at all. Uh, but they had been spammed into the game. And, you know, then their, their, right. their social features had been kind of captured. Right. Uh, and, then, you know, it's, it's just that's a longer way of saying that it's actually quite hard to really understand um, how social someone is in a game. Right. And you, you can look at it in a couple of ways, right? You can look at it in terms of, you know, how many people they've brought into the game. You can look at it in terms of how influential they are. They're, they're node on a network. If they were to leave, how many people would leave with them? Right. Uh, and so, so this is one of these other areas that we, we had some notion of, you know, sort of how many invites someone had sent, how many had been received. But 
the 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 broader picture of how social and influential someone is in the game that's a that's one that is yet to be solved i think by most people out there yeah uh, it's a tough it, question it's a tough question but it's it's very interesting it's very important it also is you know from an economics point of view part of the key to having a successful game right if, if you have very social users who are you know kind of continuously talking about their engagement in the game and bringing people in from their own network into your game, you don't have to spend money to acquire that, you know, those users. Exactly, yeah. That, that's how you win, actually. So, you know, so, something that we, we are very interested in trying to continuously figure out, we'll be spending a lot of time trying to figure out going forward. Yeah, no, I mean, like, as a mobile game developer, you, you I mean, you always get asked by clients, like, integrate Facebook and Twitter. And I'm like, okay, fine. But what is the value you're getting out of this? Because generally what you do is you post your score, you post the picture of you finishing a level. How, how, does, how, how does that generate interest um, in, you know, in other social users? So if I spam my Facebook feeds with high scores, uh, like why do people care? Um, and that's one of the things that I was really excited about with Everplay is that now all of a sudden it's not just this blanketed, you know, picture or whatever you put on Facebook. It's a video. It's a video of you playing the game or it's a short video of you like achieving something great. Um, have you have you come up against that problem of like what is valuable sharing social content from, I mean, your broad strokes as a as a um, analytics provider? Yeah, you know, we, we not really yet. That, it's such an emerging area. Uh, I think that's one of the, you know, I, I, I'll be spending a lot of time with the, the EveryPlay team, uh, and some of them are here in San Francisco. Um, but, you know, they, they, are, they, are, they are getting a lot of people to integrate the service right now. It's, it's a phenomenally built, well-built product. The, the type of understanding of users that's going to come out of that product is going to be phenomenal. Uh, you know, and, and, and again, I think that's just a, a future thing that you know, I, I think will be great to understand, which is, yeah, what, what does get people, what does get, you know, what, what should you share? And, and you know, like, the, the nice thing is, is that this is, you know, every play is a consumer-facing product, right? So it, it's, it's almost like developers will just figure it out by seeing what is being shared. And if we can start to kind of find the trends in that, then you, know, you, you can start to have more systematic playbooks of how you can build your game so it would be shareable. Yeah. And if you build your game so it would be shareable, then you'll have a better chance of success, etc. Right. Oh, that's, uh, that's certainly interesting. So, um, so can you talk about your, your acquisition, like what drove the acquisition uh, of Unity? Did they just come and say, hey, you're doing cool stuff, uh, want to join the team? It was not that simple. Uh, <laughs> let, let, me, let me put it this way. I, I actually, um, I've known uh, David, the CEO, for probably four or five years. Right. Uh, he, he, he actually made, uh, it was, a, it was an, a formal offer by any sense of the word, but he did express interest in acquiring us probably three years ago. Oh. Um, and, and, you know, I foolishly said no. Uh, uh, you know, we, I just gotten started with this, with this venture, you know, I didn't know where this could go. Um, and, and, but, but, you know, I remember from the first day I met David, I thought his vision and the way his authenticity about how he believes, you know, in, in kind of the, the developer himself being an ex developer, uh, you know, it was, it was, I remember my co-founder and I walked out of our first meeting with David and we said, Whoa, you know, that guy. That guy, whatever it is, he has it. Right. Um, right. You know, it, it, it became essentially a commitment to your customer, 
really internalizing your customers' issues, really caring about solving their problems. So th that's a long way of saying that, that we've been really um, a fan of Unity from, from day one. Uh, in terms of the acquisition itself, we got to a point in our business where we believed we needed to hit more scale. Right. And we, st we saw a world where SDK fatigue, you know, and again, <laughs> I don't, you know, as a mobile developer, you will understand exactly what I'm talking about, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Like, it, it is so, it is, it is, there's too many SDKs out there. There's too many piecemeal services. It's hard to get, you know, sort of through the SDK integration process. Right. And we just had, we just looked at ourselves and said, look, you know, we've built uh, an amazing product, great technology, um, and how do we get to scale? And we had a few options, actually, uh, in front of us as to how to do that, and Unity was, I think, the, the best option. Uh, not only because we love what they do, and we, we've loved this company for quite a while, the, the scale uh, of what Unity has in terms of developers is stunning. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, a, it's a testament to the quality of the engine and the product. It is, it, it is such a well-loved, well-used yeah. uh, piece of software. So we had the opportunity with, with Unity you know, essentially just to take our small little product, which was used by, you know, hundreds of developers, and now get it into the hands of thousands and thousands and thousands of developers across the world. Uh, that, that was quite compelling for us. And then the second piece of it, I think, and this is just something that will happen as an as a outgrowth of having services like EveryPlay and our service within Unity, you know, I think we're going to be able to start to solve some of the secular problems in the game industry around things like discovery, things like finding and keeping the right audience, right. you know, and, and, and do it in a way that puts the developer first, right? right? That, that really has a developer-focused you know, view. And, and I, you know, I, I, th I think that's going to be super exciting also. I mean, I would, again, love to see in an industry, it's great that you have amazing companies like Kabam, and King, and you know, from an entrepreneur point of view, I I I, I find it amazing and you know, really, really, really um, impressive what they've built, the scale of their their businesses. Yeah. You also want to have, you know, a really healthy long tail, mm -hmm. right? And and you, you, what you don't want to have happen is what has happened before in the game industry, where you know, there's three or four large publisher companies. That produce ninety percent, ninety five percent of the games out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you just you want you for the the good of the gaming industry. You want diversity. Yeah. And and you know, I think that that was another big reason that we found the the Unity uh, you know kind of acquisition so compelling is that you know there's no company in the gaming industry better positioned than Unity to really help developers. Yeah. I agree. That long tail thing is, you know, is certainly something that is the biggest concern because you have all these great creative people who take a risk and become independent developers um, and they have IP in their heads, right? And that's what people are really buying into is like the IP. What is the game? What is it that I'm, I'm selling? And it, they, those creators are the best people to curate that, you know what I mean? And so like creating a sustainable business with those long tail, like I can make a couple of products and then, you know, over the course of the years, I've got multiple games making me money. That's, that certainly is the dream. That's cool. Yeah. And then don't get me wrong. I mean, there is, there needs to be a place for, you know, the larger established companies uh, putting out very high quality, you know, battle tested products. You right. know, if I look at, look at the games I'm playing right now, you know, I, 
there's some on there's some that are are independent and some like I don't know uh, Hearthstone for example that that are are definitely not independent but that's still an amazing quality experience right absolutely yeah so you know it, again it's it's diversity right and, and if you look at the game industry interestingly enough what would be great to have happen is if you could get those independent developers you know to the point where they are independent enough that they become almost move a little bit more into the middle yeah absolutely they become sustainable businesses mm-hmm. that you know are are sort of able to build games that they love and get their audience and and, and continue to be successful i i use um it's not a game company per se but a company called smule i don't know if you know those guys no no not really they make music apps that have game like features all right uh so piano apps and you know it's really fun stuff. They have a passionate audience, and they're they're you know sort of at the point where they can essentially put out a test feature as a game and say, "Is this something you guys want us to create into a full fledged experience?" And their audience will tell them, "Yes, this is the thing that we you should build your next music app game around this feature." That's amazing. It's amazing, right? Yeah. Like. The, you know, it's like you, you've now connected with the people who love your stuff and you, you, you can continuously deliver things that you love and that you also know your audience will love. Yeah. And yeah. So, so, you know, I, I, you know it's like it's the, the, the challenge in the gaming industry is right now you have a lot of people at the very, very top end, you know, massive scale, Kabam, King, Zynga, etc. Right. And then you have a lot of people at the long tail. And the, the healthy middle, right, where, where the long tail developers grow, you know, grow a little bit, yeah. move a little bit away from being hobbyists to being, this is my life, I can have a business doing this, Yeah, that would be phenomenal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, just uh, taking a look at like, the future, um, what, can you talk about the roadmap for Playnomics and Unity? Um, uh, I, can, I can talk on, some, some, on a very broad level. You yeah. Know? Uh, so you know, we are we are working on uh, trying to bring our services to the Unity developer. You know, our our, our system uh, over the last couple of years. By and this is just the the nature of being a venture backed business. We were we had built for larger enterprise customers, right? Um, and what I what I find really. Jathan, I think I lost you there, mate. Are you there? I think uh, broke out there a little bit. Sorry about that. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I can. Okay. You're going to have to back up. Um, uh, we, we left off where you were uh, talking about how your um, system was geared towards uh, more yep. enterprise customers. Yep. So, so we, we built the system for larger companies just because, you know, as a, as a venture-backed company, we, we needed to, to pay our bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but for the Unity developer, you know, it's a different set of challenges. You know, you have limited staff, limited time. You're trying to just make sure that your game is working. Um, and we're really going to try to build and re-envision our system to get to the heart of, you know, how am I doing? You know, right. Again, the concept that analytics should be very, very easy to understand. It should be able to drive you to an action, give you an insight to say, oh, my revenue is down because 
my highly engaged users have been dropping off at, at a normally high rate recently. Then that is because, oh, this level is actually broken. Right. How interesting, right? Like, like, okay, now I need know what I need to do next. Right. And and we're you know that's that's what I think is really interesting about you know joining forces with Unity is that you know it's it it you have to actually build something that simplifies all of that. Right. And, and simplicity is actually quite complex, right? Doing doing something <laughs> that is that is quite simple is is actually quite hard. Yeah. Uh, but but the roadmap basically is you know we we're going to be putting out interesting things for the the develop you know Unity developer uh, in in a, a frame that I think will be you know true to Unity's you know sort of ethos very 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 developer focused uh, and and you know you won't need to have a team of PhDs to use it. Right, that's that's fantastic. Um, and I heard there are going to be some exciting announcements at Unite this year. You're going to be there. Um, so um, I urge anybody, all my listeners, to uh, buy your Unite tickets if you haven't already. And you can uh, pick Jason, Jason's brain there. Yeah, ha happy to talk to talk analytics or, you know, game industry stuff or game mechanics, uh, you know, all day. <laughs> uh, I would. It's a. It's a really. Again, I think a really interesting time for developers. You know, it's not easy out there building a mobile game. Right. Uh, but you know, I think given you know sort of the problems, there there are ways to fix the you know the, the, those problems. Yeah. And and you know, I think there there's a lot of folks certainly here at Unity that are really really thinking hard about how you can you know give developers. The ability to be independent, right? And, and so I think you're going to see a lot of uh, really uh, beyond even just uh, you know kind of analytics. You're going to see some really amazing stuff coming out uh, at, at Unite. That's that's really exciting, Chathan. Thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, we hope the best for Playnomics. Um, I heard you're settling in well there at Unity, and uh, we look forward to some exciting things. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we're in the Unity San Francisco office. Uh, internet is still being set up, so sorry about the, uh, <laughs> the lags here and there with, uh, no with Skype. But it was a, it was a real pleasure as well. Thanks so much for the time. STK fatigue. STK fatigue. STK fatigue.